Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another exciting episode of Bald Move Television, the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. I'm Jim. And I'm Cecily. And we are going to be talking about two shows in particular, a new one uh, on Amazon Prime's streaming service called Good Omens, which is based on a book by uh, co-written by Neil Gaiman and uh, Terry Pratchett. Uh, it stars David Tennant and Michael Sheen as an angel and a demon who are working to stave off the apocalypse because they just like living on Earth that much. And uh, we'll be talking about that. And then uh, after that, Cecily and I will be wrapping up uh, our thoughts on Barry, which concluded last week, I think. Or the, uh, yeah, I think it was last week. Uh, we'll be talking about that. Hey, before we get in the episode, I want to do a real quick update on what's going on here at Bald Move in the week ahead. Uh, Bald Move TV, next week, we're going to be looking at the Deadwood movie event that's coming out tonight, this Friday, on HBO. Uh, again, we'll be talking about that next week. Uh, Bald Movies, last night, Jim and I saw Godzilla, King of Monsters. We have a review there on baldmove.com and the Bald Movies uh, podcast. You can find that by searching for Bald Movies in your favorite podcast app. This week we'll be seeing the new X-Men, Dark Phoenix. We'll see if they can undo the damage of X-Men 3. Uh, also, uh, to celebrate our 50 millionth po- downloaded podcast. God, so many podcasts downloaded. Jim and I are doing one of our Q&A celebrations. Uh, you can send any questions that you would like to ask us, and we will come up with our level best answer. Uh, anything. It can be anything. At QA at baldmove.com. Send those emails in. We'll be recording that probably sometime this upcoming week. Uh, for later release, uh, but we want to let you guys be aware of that. And now back to the content. First up, Good Omens. We're not going to talk about spoilers. Uh, we might not even talk spo- spoilers. Period. We just want to kind of talk about um, what we've seen, what we think of it. I, I think Cecily and I saw the first two episodes, so we've seen roughly a third of the series. Jim, where are you at? Uh, same. I've seen uh, the first two. I have a giant complaint, which is I had to stop watching it to record this podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm really having a good time. I figured I would with the pedigree. Uh, what's what's your guys' thoughts? Yeah, yeah. we deprived ourselves of an, uh, the bare minimum amount of sleep that we could get just to watch only two episodes. I I like it. It's I like the style of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing like a lot of costume work too, and like mm-hmm. uh, makeup stuff. Like the like the Mrs. Doubtfire thing and the the gardener, mm-hmm. and it seems like from the trailers that they're going to do more of that. Hmm. That was the impression I was getting. Yeah, that was one of the things that I noticed when I watched the trailer was just to look at this thing. Mm-hmm. It it is very fantastical. It almost has like a uh, what was that uh, Neil Patrick Harris um, Netflix series Un- a series of unfortunate events. Yes. It almost yeah. has a, a, a visual vibe similar to that. Like a bright Tim Burton kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Tim Burton-y, um, a, a lot of like flourish to it. Uh, and so that caught my eye. And then, of course, you know, being written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, I think has a certain amount of uh, appeal and, and their irreverent sense of humor, um, their very British sense of humor. <laughs> uh What's I really your, loved it. What's I your guys' experience with like Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett? Because I'm not, I don't have a lot of Neil Gaiman under my belt. Um, I've read about five or six of Pratchett's um, Discworld series, um, but I got so I, I was a huge fan of Douglas Adams, like from middle school. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very and that kind of role, mm-hmm. absurdist but humanist kind mm-hmm. of humor. Uh, I've got a soft spot for. By the time I got to Pratchett, um, I was like 24, 25, and I'd kind of ate. 
I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know if I aged out or like also that like I was uncomfortable with some of the shots that uh, Pratchett was taking at religion because mm-hmm. you know I was still a devout Jehovah's Witness at that time, mm-hmm. and um, but uh, I definitely heard his voice, especially in like the names of places oh, and the yeah. names of people. Like this feels like like Discworld characters, Discworld places. Um, in fact, like I I couldn't I couldn't really pick out much in the way of Neil Gaiman at all. But then again, I wouldn't because I don't have an ear for him. Yeah, I I tried. I think it was Neil Gaiman. I tried reading, uh, or rather, listening to one of his somewhat recent books. It's like Anathe Anathanaeum, or mm-hmm. like, it, and it was it was so wheelbarrow heavy to mm-hmm. use a, a, a parlance of bald move. Um, th- there was just so many places and names and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the the world building was so fucking dense that I just fell off immediately on mm-hmm. it. Uh, I think that was Neil Gaiman, but yeah, I, I, I definitely felt more of a Terry Pratchett vibe in this whole thing. I agree with that. I looked, I did a little bit of research in the original novel that they collaborated on before Terry uh, died. Um, and that they both kind of said that Terry Pratchett wrote about two thirds of it with Neil Gaiman writing more of the kind yeah. of world building and peripheral yeah, details, yeah. but they also did the thing very good where, they went through and word for word edited each other and sent fo- fo- and I guess they were trading. This was back before the internet. They were mailing each other floppy drives <laughs> back and forth to collaborate it. Um, <laughs> and that's I, so that's it amazing. makes sense. It just feels like maybe a Neil Gaiman flavored Terry Pratchett. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, from what I can tell, those are two great tastes that taste great together. Yeah, I've read um, Ocean at the End of the Lane, and of course we cover American Gods. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So that's really the only oh, experience right. I have American, yeah, yeah, yeah. with Neil Gaiman. And that's why, like, this is just a brighter, lighthearted, more optimistic and funnier American Gods. Because they do cover a lot of the same kind of cockeyed view of religion. Yeah, And right. what it says about humanity, you know? Yeah, that's right now. But I think as we get in the next few episodes, they're, they're definitely setting us up for some really dark stuff. And I'm not... I'm not going to read anything about this until we yeah. finish watching it. Because it's only six episodes. Why? But like this truly terrifying hellhound and this war lady seems <laughs> really uh, right. scary. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, all of the four horsemen, I assume, are going to be in this at some point, right? I think so. Have we seen I, two I, of them? Uh, I think we've only seen war. I, but I, 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 think I, so, I saw yeah. all four of them in the trailer. They're all riding motorcycles or some shit. Okay, yeah. Oh, badass. But um, I, like I don't know, because like, it might get dark, but I feel like there's a floor to how dark this show is going to get. Um, because it's essentially a buddy movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an odd couple movie about a mm-hmm. demon and an angel. And mm-hmm. that is the kind of engine that makes this work. Uh, David Tennant and Michael Sheen, from the very first frames, have this like really easy, kind of British... Uh, <laughs> very British. Very British <laughs> camaraderie. And it's... Yeah. Uh, like you get the idea that the angel maybe isn't as good as he's letting on. He's a little, he's got some some vanity. He's got some selfishness. He's a little bit uh, attached to his creature comforts. And like mm-hmm. the, I haven't got to his story, but the demon also feels like that he, you know, maybe he's, he has second thoughts about the fall. And like I even think he makes a statement in the second episode. It's like I, I didn't even really want to fall. I just kind of got caught up in the wrong crowd. Um, yeah, I think there's there's something that they're doing uh, around the idea that like the demons, the very things that make the demon a demon are also the things that make David Tennant kind of a bad demon. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's slothful, 
uh, he's deceitful. Like all of these vices that you think of associated with uh, evil are are fucking up the plan. Right, right, right. right. Uh, so yeah, I I really like kind of the just the twist. You know, they're just taking like these ideas of of religious mythos and tweaking them. Uh, and you know, I haven't seen American Gods, so maybe you know I'm late to the party on this, but yeah, it's that's a lot of fun. Uh, American Gods is a lot more about like mythology, things that you'd probably be readily you know available in your mind to reference, like Thor and Loki. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. For this, like I want to ask all the gods mm-hmm. uh, uh, of all the different religions and cultures. I mean, kind you, of, you, not all of the gods, it, it, but they do borrow from all of the. Yeah, a like if you can think of, of a god from a major religion, they definitely name check them at least if they haven't gotcha. shown up. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you guys. I'm not very steeped in actual like religious uh, study at all. How much of this do you think you benefited from having some background with it all? <laughs> I think it's like some the, of these angel names. They're I so broad. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean like Gabriel. Some of that stuff. I mean, yeah, it, they they haven't really done much with like, oh, this is Gabriel, so we know these things about Gabriel. Yeah. And I I found I'm not my, picking up too like, much the old Jehovah's Witness okay. and me getting irritated at some of the liberties they were taking with Bible canon and like the garden, <laughs> like in the Garden of Eden stuff. And I'm like, no, wait, yeah, 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 yeah. Why has Adam got the flaming sword? But like almost immediately they answered, and I'm like, why am I? You know, like, I'll be the first to be like, hey, it's a, the, you know, when they cut uh, Tom Bombadil, uh, Bombadillo out of Lord of the Rings, that's a smart adaptation. Like, the Bi- like why would I think anything different from yeah. the Bible? Like, the Bible is a bad book. It's not a good, it's, uh, as a person who's read the Bible three times through completely, tell me you get to Deuteronomy, tell me you get to, like, fucking numbers, yeah. and you're like, oh, this is riveting reading. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of, like, there's the a lot begats. of stuff. I'm really hoping for that episode of just the begats. Yeah, I just, I just, I just wanted 37 chapters of the begats. Please. Uh, there is a lot of good, like, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones type of uh, epic storytelling in the Bible, but mm-hmm. those are kind of, like, few and far between, in my okay. opinion. Okay, because there's a lot of names. There's a lot of what seem like very specific names that they use, like, yeah. naming the other their uh, child warlock so i wasn't sure if there was something you're supposed yeah, to and there's from a, that. They also like a lot of like this this uh christian mythology is like specifically like roman catholic mythology mm-hmm. like okay. the, the the and and um or like there's a lot of like jewish traditions that go into like the different orders and organizations of angels and their names and i've never heard of this uh what is his name is that um, I've mm-hmm. not not heard, and obviously Crawley's is just a joke about, um, you know, Alistair. the fact that he was a yeah. serpent. But um, I think Ooh. it's like, yeah, you this you don't need to know like anything you need to know about the Bible. They're going to explain it to you. Yeah, and and the things they're going with are so broad. Yeah. Like this is broad knowledge about Christianity, yeah, right? Yeah, that yeah, there yeah. are such a thing as angels and demons, and yes. they have some of these qualities. Yeah, they're not really going. At least I haven't detected them going real deep on Christian lore. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, I mean, I, yeah, it seems like they kind of explain what you need to know in the scene. Like um, mm-hmm. like when Gabriel introduces the sandal phone in the book. Is that his name? Sandal phone? And he's like, oh, yeah, you did the Sodom and Gomorrah stuff. Nice oh. work. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you can quickly establish that he's pretty formidable himself. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, yeah, th- that's exactly like if you know about some of the big like if I'm sure like you know if if you know Noah's flood if you know the concept mm-hmm. of Armageddon, uh, the end times like you're you're fully equipped to to uh, understand what what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just also like a lot of 
I mean, it's very droll in the way that this British stuff is. Uh, it's not like side-splitting, laugh-out-loud, like Rick and Morty or BoJack Horseman or Lady Dynamite type of humor. It's very sly. Yeah. Um, like the whole, like the, the whole baby swapping that goes on around the Antichrist, I thought was that. Like the way that they go inside the nuns' heads and explain how the miscommunication happens. That's very fucking Pratchett. And, uh, but I, but I enjoy it. I enjoy mm-hmm. it, but it's not like, again, a knee slapping laugh out loud. It's more of like, you know, a smile and a chuckle. And, uh, of course, you know, we're only a third of the way through there's mm-hmm. that might pick up later, but, uh, it's a few, and it's also like very, it's very human, mm-hmm. you know, like watching an angel, uh, you know, who's lived among humanity for all of creation and how he sees humans versus like Gabriel, who is like this archangel and played magnificently by John Hamm with these like just vivid violet eyes. Like there's this memorable point where he's trying to pass off as human in this bookstore mm-hmm. and he picks up a, picks up this book about like household management or like accounting. And he's like, I'm interested in this book in pornography. Uh, and like what he thinks, how he thinks humans and, yeah. uh, and, and the fact that like no one in the shop, everyone's seen like this guy's being a weirdo, but mm-hmm. he gets in the back rooms. Like all oh, these stupid humans are, <laughs> That that's I I like that I, I like what they're saying um, I I like this like very easy camaraderie that the demon and angel have like all all that I think can build up to something really nice um, and feel good and I kind of in, am in the mood for that. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how long this series is for the world. Is this going to be a one and done season kind of thing, like six episodes and out? I hope so. Yeah, it it makes me wonder because they're, you know, they're talking about the war. And I think, you know, in four more episodes, they could get through any potential, you know, apocalyptic war that they're going to have between heaven and hell. But uh, when I think of war, I think very long term. I don't think of a battle or two. Hmm. I think of a lot of battles. Um, And and I guess we'll see. I'm not aware of, like, whether they've renewed this or whether this has written to a conclusion at season one see i did read and here's the thing i i kind of hope so because i think that more of tv shows should try to tell a very limited story rather tell the story you want to tell not out not shoot for you but also in in researching about the original book that i wasn't familiar with i found out that uh that neil and terry had planned a sequel and they had the kind of a rough outline but they never got to finish it Hmm. So it's possible that maybe this Neil sees this as a way to kind of like finish something him and his old friend started. Um, maybe. But uh, he's the sole he's the sole writer credit on the show, which I thought was really cool. Hmm. And there's a single um, a director credited, uh, which I'd never heard of, Douglas McKinnon. It seems like he's a pretty established uh, guy that works on a lot of like BBC type of stuff. He's done a lot of Doctor Who episodes and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I think he's, I mean, the visual style of this is, is really cool. It's not like photorealistic or it's, it's, it's not like maybe, I don't, I, I, I want to say it's not like state of the art, but it's, it's, it's not that it's just that it's not trying to look like something that's literally real. Like when you see yeah, it's like fantastical. Yeah, when you see like Michael Sheen as an angel in the standing outside the Garden of Eden, he's wearing like a toga and he's got those f- wings are obviously fake, but mm-hmm. what the hell, you know? It's 
they're not they're not going for photorealism. They're going for like David Tennant's snake eyes don't look right, mm-hmm. but they're you know he's kind of like a cartoon character. He's like a yeah he's like a like 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 Beetlejuice out of um, the, the the Tim Burton movies. Like that doesn't look real, mm-hmm. but it looks like it needs to look to 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 have the effect that that, that it looks like. So I thought he this this Doug McKinnon guy did a did a did a good job from what I've seen. Yeah. The other the other thing I like is this setup for um a Stranger Things style camaraderie mm. with some of these kids that they have involved. Yeah. So yeah. I'm excited to see what they get up to. Yeah, that's the thing is like I I wonder how the story is advancing cuz the way I understand man I uh, can we get into light spoilers cuz we're only a, a third of the way through. So this is kind mm-hmm. of like us uh, spoiling the premise of the show. Okay. Sure. Yeah, we're going to we're going to do spoilers. So if you don't want them yeah. Probably uh, <laughs> skip ahead to the point where you're, you're going to talk about Barry, right? And they they um, so so the the whole idea is there's the ineffable plan of God that no one quite understands, but everyone like at least on the the good side, the good team, all mm-hmm. the angels th- just trust that it's implicitly going to sure. happen. There's no way you can avoid it. There's no way you can delay it. It's just going to happen. Um, but we see a demon and an angel trying very hard to not do that. But unfortunately, maybe this part of the ineffable plan. The Antichrist was supposed to go to an American diplomat, mm-hmm. uh, but he gets swapped out f- to the wrong family, and he's being raised in this quiet English town. And all of heaven and hell are maneuvering their forces around this child that they think is the Antichrist, but he's just kind of an asshole kid of rich parents, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas the real Antichrist seems like a pretty good, well-adjusted kid, and I don't know whether the joke is going to be that no matter what you do, God's ineffable plan is going to happen and it's going to turn out okay, or because of the well-meaning intentions of the angel and demon that it's going to be fucked up and they're going to bring about the apocalypse and that's part of the ineffable plan. I mean, there's six different ways it could go. I just, mm-hmm. I just not sure like how dark it's going to end up, how, what kind of note of positivity it'll end on. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm the only thing I'm expecting is that the apocalypse gets wrapped up. If there's a sequel, it should have its own stakes. Yeah. Because I'll feel kind of ripped off if I get to the end of these six episodes and it's like a massive cliffhanger. So it's interesting in this show to compare it to other things that have like loose uh, plot threads or things that you don't feel were wrapped up satisfactorily. I, and I think the difference is that this show embraces it like the third baby problem. They essentially just say, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don't think too much about it. Yeah. It's exactly. probably okay. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. And I think it works because they're just telling us what we need to focus on. But How that's the thing about, about Pratchett is like, like I, I bet even money that that third baby ends up being super important, mm-hmm. like in like the fifth or sixth episode, you know, because mm-hmm. like he, it's, it's, he also doesn't mind doing like misdirection and, and, yeah, and was, narrative tricks like that. I was starting to wonder if maybe the babies had gotten switched up even further in a way the audience didn't see, mm-hmm. but then the hellhounds went and found the right kid. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's another thing that I enjoy about Pratchett's work. Like, again, I'm not, I, there's got to be 30 plus Discworld novels. But, like, my favorite character from those is the personification of death. Like, it's like all these, it's, it seems like with Pratchett, the one, the, the, these, um, like like cosmically powerful characters have like m- the most human takes on things or like the most profound like he gets seems tends to give the most profound statements to very simple common sense type folk and also these things that are ineffable like death or god and and casting uh god as francis mcdarm darmit francis mcdormand mcdormand um i feel like is a good way to 
to to to do that because like there's a couple things that they the I don't know having having her be the voice of God um, does a lot of heavy lifting for it because it tells you right away like this isn't like some kind of this is subversive because you know still in this day and age portraying the Christian you know Judeo Christian God as female is kind of edgy. Uh, but she's also got this kind of like you're very calm and and steady and motherly like everything like as she's talking about how the earth is only 6,000 years old and dinosaurs are a joke that they played on paleontologists it's just this kind of like reassuring like this is all going to work out and be fine Uh, which is like I said I feel like there's a floor to the limit of darkness and bad that can happen Hmm. because the show feels optimistic the show feels like there is a plan the plan is good and everything's going to be okay yeah yeah I think so I don't trust that I don't trust the show. <laughs> yeah? Well, yeah. Ben's much Gaiman's in it, I guess. I guess so. Uh, I, and I guess that's the thing that's also keeping me interested in watching is to see how, you know, you know which one of those six different ways that you were talking about earlier uh, this could go is actually going to happen. Uh, that's Aside from, like, the style and the comedy and stuff, that's the thing that's keeping me going mm-hmm. is how, you, you know, is is the god in this story uh omnipotent and omniscient and like is is that plan truly going to come about or is it fucked up by his underling her underlings mm-hmm. uh you know it's that's the thing that's keeping me watching yeah mm-hmm. and i also guess as like you know um john ham as danger gabriel he finds out the uh as as Raf- uh, as, as rafael as uh is trying to turn the antichrist good and he's like, oh, that's never going to work. But, you know, keep trying. Like the Lord says, climb every mountain. Like he's not bought because, like, you know, his perspective is there's nothing that can be done that's going to muck up God's plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the demons are kind of the same way. Like this is like, you know, that they, they, this is the whole reason they rebelled and it's the culmination of all their years of work. And that's the one wild card because the more supremely confident everyone is that things are going to work out, the more I feel like ah, maybe it won't. But just that. I mean, you can definitely do that. You can definitely generate a lot of pathos from comedy, and we've seen that a lot in like Fleabag, and we've seen it a lot in BoJack. And uh, but this feels like a show that's more of the opposite. Like it'll bring you to the, and it, it'll have you thinking that that might happen. But it's just, it's just you know, Michael Sheen and David Tennant just don't have it. Just don't have the heart to bum me out like that. The way they're being portrayed. Yeah, or we could be a fan of uh, Adam ruling over the apocalypse. With hmm. his with his friends. <laughs> All right, that's yeah. the ending I'm pulling for. Well, that's the other thing is like if All... if, if greater than fifty percent of hell is like uh, Crawley, maybe it's not. Maybe that maybe that's not such a bad place. And if, if everybody is kind of like a smug and cocksure and kind of dismissive and condescending, and everyone and everyone heaven is like John Hamm, then maybe 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 heaven needed to be rebelled against. So. That it, it's like yeah third of the way through I really don't know how I feel and they just introduced this whole concept of like this age old rivalry between witches and witch hunters which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't see coming at all oh by the way Michael McKean doing a really inter- some interesting voice work like uh-huh. I like he's uh, like really playing up his Scottish uh, ancestry it seems like yeah yeah as the sergeant was it is his witch witch hunter sergeant major or whatever yeah uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, I like the, the 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 prophecy book and um, how like it's the the one the the one uh, absolute true book of prophecy. Um, I, there's just there's a lot there's a lot going on and a lot going for the show. I was kind of surprised that they they got Nick Offerman 
playing the American diplomat, and I thought we were going to see a lot of him, but I mean, I've gotten 30 seconds of Nick Offerman, 15 seconds mm-hmm. of those 30 of him giggling, which I really enjoy. <laughs> I could listen to Nick Offerman giggle all day long. I, I think there's a YouTube channel for that. And really? It's an ASMR thing. It's yeah. just, a, it's just, a, just, just a, like one of those 10 hours of yeah. Nick Offerman giggling. Um, I, I was a little surprised to not see, rappers in the back. <laughs> see, see much of him. We've gotten more John Hamm than Nick Offerman. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Uh, it, it feels to me like they're going with some, and maybe I'm completely wrong and they're going to subvert this at some point, but it, it seems like the message of this might be, you know, Earth's all right. Mm-hmm. Like, living on Earth ain't such a bad thing as a human being. Yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of the angel and devil vibe that I'm getting right. currently, is they'd yeah. both rather be here without the apocalypse uh-huh. than back in their respective underworld and heaven. Yeah. Yeah, because they've been there too long and they just don't fit in anymore. And they'll be there forever. Mm-hmm. Like the, that's, and it's not interesting. Like right. they, the, some they want some of the qualities of the world of this other entity, and like Earth is sort of an amalgamation of all of it, and that's what makes it interesting. Right. I, I think that's like the overarching thing they're going for here. But by the end, who the fuck knows? I, I well, don't. People who've read the book, I'm sure. Plus, I feel like that this. You, I, I've been asking for hollywood and and other places to make uh you know like like aspirational morality and ethical tales and along the mm-hmm. lines of like the good place um and i've seen to my dismay uh it seems like there's a lot of appetite for that type of entertainment but like a lot of the stuff i've seen for trailers coming out just looks so saccharine and syrupy that you just can't take it seriously and this this and like good place and like even I guess leftovers is is kind of like an aspirational morality tale too. Like that stuff needs a little bit of an edge or a hook to make it work, or at least for me because I you get too Pollyanna and this it just is dismissed as fantasy. It's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Um, where like you know the idea of an Earth that's full of fuck ups and you know assholes and well meaning people, but like on balance everything kind of works out. Um, uh, that is. That I'm 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 the market for that entertainment. Mm-hmm. What else shall we say about Good Omens? I got nothing else. We're gonna watch it all and come back and talk more next week or the week after. Yeah, we'll see how Sounds long it good. takes the the plow. I mean, it's, there's only like three and a half hours more to watch of it, so mm-hmm. um, only. But there's also just a ton. Like, man, they dropped so much great TV uh, on us this week. I know that the. Um, you know, we got the Deadwood comes out tonight. Um, there is something that's kind of like a much darker version of what it seems like this is. Uh, the Perpetual Grace Limited. Hmm. That uh, you you don't remember watching the trailer for that? That's the one no. that's got Ben Kingsley, who plays oh, like okay. that preacher that's like trying to help convicts. And um, that looked really good and, and entertaining. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm definitely going to finish this probably in the next week or two. And uh, we'll talk about it more. Uh, now it's time to talk about Barry, and unfortunately, we're going to have to excuse Jim out of the room because he hasn't caught up yet. Um, yeah. Cecily and I are going to talk about season two of Barry and what we thought about it uh, right now. Before we get to Barry, I wanted to talk about the club, club.baldmove.com. Now might be a great time to join because the summer blockbuster season is upon us. We've already got a lot of great movies that we've reviewed in the Bald Movies feed, and one of the features there is our first-run Bald Movies um, our uh, the spoiler version is for club members only. You can listen to our general take and like our overall opinion. But if you want to hear our spoiler filled thoughts and our complete uh, breakdown of what we thought about the movie, you got to be a club member. And there's a bunch of movies coming out this summer. Uh, Dark Phoenix, 
Spider-Man Far From Home, Toy Story 4, Lion King, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the new Quentin Tarantino film, uh, Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw are some of the blockbusters that we will be seeing. And if you want to hear our full spoiler takes on that, you're going to have to be a club member. It's easy to join. Go to club.baldmove.com where you can get a lowdown of all the benefits. You can preview a lot of the uh, the, the extra features uh, free of charge there. And you can start a free 30-day trial of the club by going to club.baldmove.com. Okay, Cecily and I are going to talk about Barry now. If you want to bail now, it's just going to be spoilers for Barry Season 2. It's great. Um, and then come back after you've watched it. Started a bit slow, uh, really ramped up the pace, uh, ended on a well-earned and exciting cliffhanger, and we're going to talk about it all right now. Okay, in no particular order, some of the plot points that I enjoyed this season is Barry training Hank's Chechnyan army. Uh, and that, like, it's it seemed that the duo was exciting because number one is just fun to watch Barry train all these guys, and like Hank is kind of a, a you know dipshit. I love Hank, but he's not a very good gangster. And now he's got this army, and you kind of like, oh, is this army going to be a boon for Barry, or is it going to be is Barry going to have to fight this entire army himself? That ends up being what happens at the end of the episode. Yeah, but not until they kick some Burmese ass first. Not before they do. Um, but I thought that that whole plot was really entertaining, and it was a g- neat way for like Barry to to. And it's increasingly tough for Barry to be a sympathetic character because he's just killing so many people and being forced to being put into this situation. Right, and, it's like one bad choice forces him into a bunch of other bad choices. So it's yeah. like I don't have that much yeah. you know sympathy for you because you did do the original sin but right and his morality just like it becomes more and more of a tatters like he gets a taste that's of not like even wh- fair he his first kill was in war huh i said that's not even fair i, I want to walk that back a little bit his first his first kills were in the act of war no and they, they they show how like you know the very thin line between societally accepted murder and being celebrated for it and then also stepping over and committing a war crime and then once you cross that line then you know are you just psychotic at this point and or just like yeah i don't know if it like breaks your brain but just the trauma of it makes you feel like you have that's your only purpose and the only thing you have to offer the world. Right. Yeah. Plus it's just like the, once your morality gets shredded to a certain point, it's hard to, to ever find a, a, I guess a level ground to, to, to build a new life. Like he's got a taste for normalcy here with Jean's acting. Well, Hollywood acting class, normal normalcy with Sally and Jean and some friends that don't involve killing, but uh, you know, this former life and these mistakes and choices he's made keeps intruding. And this is kind of, Watching him try to train his army is a, a good example of uh, these unintended consequences. Because for him, this is the perfect way to get out of killing more people. Like, hey, I'll. But it's also murder adjacent because he's training a bunch of criminals and drug dealers to do a massive hit on another organization. And you know, it actually just makes the situ. It just makes the situation worse in the end. Right. But I, I just thought that was really funny. I really liked all the looks that we got for Noho Hank. Um, I liked his relationship with Crystal Ball and how it seems like it's just simple jealousy that fucked it up. Oh, absolutely. Because there was nothing that Esther did except for show up and be a competent criminal. And suddenly, you know, he doesn't have Crystal Ball all to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of play coy whether that's like a romantic relationship that he has with them or whether it would be reciprocated. Uh, yeah, it feels kind of one sided to me. 
but then in the end, I then yeah, just, things flipped in the end. Yeah, so I don't know. That'd be interesting to explore in in season two. I continue to think like uh, Hank's just. <sighs> And and the th- the thing that's really funny is now Hank looks like an even bigger badass. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's the thing. This show walks such a, f- you know, such a good. I want to say fine line, but the, you know, they are walking that line of what can almost be farce. Like Hank is just almost too silly. Like the first time he tries to kill Barry, and he has one of his incompetent lieutenants try to snipe him, and. He misses a bunch of times, mm-hmm. and then they're, like, arguing about it, and then Barry shows up on the roof and, like, puts a bullet in his shoulder. And it's just it's just, it's just, just really, I don't know. It's really funny. And now they've... And he's like, yeah. So so one of the things that's, like, I've been frustrated with a Better Call Saul, for example, is the fact that, like, it seems like in between each season, like, they've got, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy posed to become Saul, but they keep rolling back his moral odometer. And it's cool because, like, this, in in season three, like, I feel like Noho Hank is going to be set back to, like, where he was in season one, where he's an incompetent kind of, like, criminal with a heart of gold, but now he's got a real hard ass that's supervising him. So, like, he's back into that that space he was in season season one, but it doesn't feel like, you know, it feels like it was an earned moment. He's on a character treadmill, but he's a minor character, and who gives a shit? He's not a minor character, but, you know, he's a side character. Yeah. Um, and how they keep ratcheting up the tension with Barry, I thought was pretty interesting because I was worried that he stepped off such a moral cliff last uh, last season, killing Janice. That how the hell are they ever going to walk that back and have him go back to being happy go lucky Barry? Well, the answer is he gets away with it and kind of tortured, but nobody else knows about it, and life goes on until, until it doesn't. They do. at, <laughs> until it doesn't at the end of this, until uh, the chickens come home to roost at the end of the season. But yeah. I- Let's be, I don't want to get to that. I'm trying to stay yeah, as, yeah. as chronological as possible. I really enjoyed the other framework where Sa- uh, Sally and Barry's uh, attempting to write and perform a short piece that encapsulates their personal truth, which Sally, you know, tries to tell the story of her leaving her violent ex-husband or ex-boyfriend. Husband. Oh, was a husband? Yeah, they were married. And uh, this gets complicated by the actual return of the ex, and she now questions, you know, like, is it, uh, is, is it more true to tell the story of a strong woman who leaves her, her uh, abusive husband or to tell the more complicated story of why a woman would stay? And or- why, what, and, and then the culmination of that arc is that uh, she's rewarded, she kind of, like, you know, has this snap decision to revert and tell the original story of her just being a badass and how she's rewarded commercially and artistically. And everybody's like, Oh, you're so brave, but she's, she's, she's getting rewarded for telling a lie. Right. Yeah. And they've Sally in the beginning of the season, really frustrated in the first season too. I don't yes. think I liked her very much. I turned, I, I turned around on Sally's character this season. Yeah, absolutely. This, especially this, uh, what is the name of the episode where he does the pie thing? But she gives this speech that is just so complicated and it's telling, not showing, mm-hmm. but that's that's how Sally is. Which speech are you talking about? I'm talking about the poolside one where they're running lines and she just kind of does this, um, you know, this wall of dialogue at Barry, like, here's everything I'm feeling and it's so complicated and it's just every, all of these things. I'm happy about, for you. I'm mad at okay, you. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's why I thought you were. When he gets but, that part. But the, the one where, yeah, I, that's the exact scene where I turned around on her because, like, that, 
feels so right. Like that, because I've been in situations in life where you're happy for a friend, but mm-hmm. also like you're extremely frustrated because maybe you've worked harder to get further, but they seem to just happy go lucky because of whatever position they enjoy in life. And they're not aware of all the things that, you know, or how easy it was for them versus how hard it was for you. So you can't hold it against them, but also you fucking know. And that was such a tour de force of a comedic and drama performance that I, I, yeah, I, I feel like I fully get Sally. Part of Sally's character is she is a little, little shallow and a little kind of first world problems and a little bit of LA woman problems, but you know, they gave her, uh, this this uh, ex husband she had was no joke. Like they she they gave her some genuine pathos to deal with too. And yeah, I mean it, for m- a comedy to be asking us such complicated questions of ourselves, like yeah, of course Sally should tell the truth. Why would she? Blo- why would she make that situation make herself f- seem better mm-hmm. as more of a hero? Right. Because that's that's not a fair role model to be for other women in abusive relationships. All right. you need to do is be stronger. Right. You idiot. Yeah. Why are you being so weak? Yeah. But she wasn't. She was very strong to leave when she did sneaking out in the middle of the night. I mean, leaving it all. I, I think that's what happened mm-hmm. is a very hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, and also the psychology of like why women's like I that's I, I thought this show did some pretty because I you know, I've never been in that situation. I don't know. But it that all that dialogue rang true about like this is the ritual and this is how he even in this abuse shows like I can see how bad he feels about it and how much he loves me in those moments. Like it's like that. And I, I just yeah yeah go watch the fucking episode but like my that felt like really right on and something that maybe would help women identify that about and how fucked up it is like you know seeing it in someone else and seeing someone so clearly with words state the truth behind those feelings and how like twisted they are would probably help more than just a you know another uh story of a woman who just storms out and says no you're not going to do this to me anymore and i'm taking a stand and i'm 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 having the perfect amount of closure and resolution and i'm Mm -hmm. got the moral clarity and all that like i and it's 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 nicely contrasted by barry's opposite dilemma which is like if he had told the first story where he kills this guy who's probably not a combatant, but he gets celebrated because what a fucking crazy shot. What a good killer you are. Uh, That, it goes a long way to start to explain the type of guy that Barry is, but he feels like he can't because all of his great stories are involve him being a murderer to some degree or another. He doesn't feel good about him. Yeah, and maybe he does have this uh, disconnect or uh, whatever you would call it. Because that that war story sets up this final battle in the very end when he just goes like red he doesn't see faces anymore he sees warm he sees like heat map signatures i imagine is what he's seeing in his head he's like in terminator mode yeah and as soon as it's over just screaming fuchs yeah in the war he killed someone that he mistakenly thought had hurt his friend Mm -hmm. and in the end he hurt a lot of his friend or he killed a lot of his friends yeah like that shot of the guy who worships barry that he trained that destroyed me that guy he just comes like, in like the angel of death, kills him, and doesn't feel anything about it. Right? Yeah, it was. All, it was. Yeah, it was worse than the dog scene in Chernobyl. <laughs> there you go. This human life meant something. 
Can't see. Wait to see where it goes. How many seasons do you think this thing has? I I don't because like last season I was even wondering how in the world they go move forward in season two. It's like I I, I feel like I trust these guys when they run out of story they'll 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 wrap it up. But I, I don't know because like there's it's just like Breaking Bad. Like you get to a point where you could probably tell more stories and people had the appetite for it. But the effect you're trying to get, which is you know show this kind of good but fundamentally flawed man turning evil uh that has an expiration date like eventually he 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 morally commits and there's no more ambiguity and it's no longer interesting and you're just telling the same story over and over again and and i don't know as long as they can make this sharp and funny and real uh keep telling keep telling the story what if he just embraces it and joins the john wick universe like you know what i am a killer and that's what i'm gonna do (laughs) i mean that's not that's not barry that's like a, a self Barry spinoff, but I don't know. I don't know. I also I don't know what Barry could be. Um, Barry right now is a guy who wants to be an actor, but he's actually a trained killer, and the tension between that. So all right, well you can read that fanfic at jimofthrones dot com. <laughs> the, the other thing that's interesting about it, that they haven't actually came out and stated, but I think is is true, is that um, Barry needed help after these experiences with the war to come to grips with them. But what he got instead is Fuchs, who I don't know exactly what all that guy's damage is, but it seems like they're telling the story that this is a guy who uh, it reminds me a lot of like Memento, where you have this guy who's got um, a, a a mental uh, a burgeoning a burgeoning mental problem mm-hmm. and a person who cynically exploits that for his own monetary advantage. Um, and also just like Fuchs is such a like goddamn Stephen Root is so good at playing this guy who thinks he's fucking like John Wick or like he thinks he's like the handler of Jason Bourne from the movies. Right. In the first season, I loved him. He was when he he's on our side, mm-hmm. I guess, our side. I've always hated this fucker. We, I, I thought he was fun when he's working with Barry. Oh, he you is know, they that, have this yeah. back and forth. And then, you know, this season he's doing this sh- really heinous shit to Barry. And you realize that was the same person the whole time. Right. He just wasn't doing it to us, the audience at that time. But what's infuriating is how incompetent he is but he gets lucky he gets he just gets lucks into these advantages when barry's the opposite he's so skilled and careful yet all the luck goes against him and also the dumbasses he kind of surrounds himself right but i think it's interesting I, I hope in season three we can finally get into the pathos of what is the fuchs and barry uh you know relationship um the episode titled what uh, which I think is amazing. This is the episode where I felt like the series really pivoted, where I was kind of like, okay, well, this is interesting, but what the fuck? Where, you know, it's like, oh, wow, we just got the same story of Barry being hunted by the partner. It's like, like man, it feels like a mistake to kill Janice because you'd had to recreate Janice to keep the plot going. But he gets Barry dead to rights, and instead of busting him, and they've had this whole thing going where Janice's partner's got this ex-wife and they're going through this divorce and there's this quinceanera shop that they shared and like there's all this problem he still loves this woman uh, and at the end where you think that he's going to put bracelets on Barry he instead offers him I want I want to take a contract out on my ex-wife's lover and Barry like because I saw that and I'm like why is this called what but that's the that's what Barry shouts the end the episode and they smash cut to it fucking brilliant because mm-hmm. that's that's how you do it this no longer is a confusing retelling of this uh, of resetting to season one stakes and season one plots but now it's next level yeah because you think that barry's just gonna have to murder his way out of every situation like right. he's got to kill this cop now too right <laughs> 
Yeah. He's going to kill for the cop. Yeah. So I um, I think that I, I, I really like that. And then like that continues this whole concept of next level and continues in the next episode where he goes to hit, put a hit on this guy. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's like a and, and the way they tell that where you just Barry's going past this guy's rooms of like uh gold medals and all these awards that he's awarded for taekwondo right they they hired this hired they raised the ceiling so that yeah. they could put more shelves for more medals it's yeah impressive yeah and and then it does I was like, you see this like uh the the one thing that's so funny about barry is that they are really competent in doing action and also in in and and putting some humor in that action so you get these like two different bookended extended fights with this taekwondo expert so this man and this little girl did you tell me this that they are actually as skilled as they? No, I don't. Oh. I, I, I meant to look in to see because I don't think the guy is because I've seen him in other things and it would be a coincidence if this guy who's a kind of quasi recognizable character actor is also an expert taekwondo guy. But um, this this little girl they got to be his like hybrid ninja monkey uh, protege and it's how his they daughter d- right is his daughter and oh, okay. they they did a lot of. Um, I watched the making of that episode and how they did a lot of green screen to make her like the way she climbed that tree. Yeah, she look, did that. That's not like, but but it's it's also they did. That's a green screen tree. It was designed yeah, to be climbed. Tree. Yeah, um, and then just just sat like a gargoyle on the the roof of the house. Uh, I, that's just so fucking funny. And also like, is Barry going to kill this girl? Like you you just you just don't know. Is this girl going to kill Barry? Yeah, no, like this, <laughs> like what the envelope of what Barry is capable of moment to moment is I never know because I've seen him kill a good friend of his. I've seen him kill his uh, mentor's lover. Like there's I'm not sure where the line for Barry is. Uh, and, and that episode just perfectly thread the needle between being awesome and funny. And then, uh, you know, ends up with a murder suicide where the the uh, Janice's partner shows up and murders the one guy who able to kill him. Uh, who who then is killed or no this this guy easily kills him but then the cops show up and see this guy murdering a cop and he gets that's the one complaint I had in the season other than its slow start was the way they set that scene up I don't know how Barry gets away like they had this is the the when you have a complete control over the blocking and set of the of your set and how the characters. What, what positions they end up in. I think it would have been easy to put Barry in a situation where he didn't have a sight line to the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, I, I'm not sure whether it maybe didn't look to them like it's as obvious as it looked to me. Maybe mm-hmm. it, I'm the only one that f- feels this way. But I felt like that scene was the one thing that felt false. Like those guys should have seen Barry running running away and, and getting away, and they, they didn't. Yeah, we hear the helicopters. They should at least find his car, right? Yeah. Because uh, he parked in a pretty open area. Yeah, and then Fuchs is an idiot. He's going to escape this police cordon and be able to get bored. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's the other thing. Is like I, I wonder if we're going to see some like real paramilitary skills out of Fuchs, but I don't feel like it because in this he would have done it already, right? Yeah, like like I thought that they were telling that story when they sh- he's like wearing his like army fatigues and he shows up at uh, Gene's cabin retreat. And like, oh, God, he's going to find Janice's body. But then it's him getting lost in the woods and almost freezing to death and dying of exposure. And he, they have like, I don't know why this always slays, but every time I see a guy fall along and from Princess Bride to Hot Rod to this, like a person just falling for 30 seconds down a steep incline, especially when it's a guy like Steven Root. 
Uh, it's just so fucking funny. But of course, he slips, trips on his own dick and lands on Janice's body. Mm-hmm. And now he's got leverage over Barry. And that's the fuel. That's the jet fuel that the last two or three episodes cruise to its uh, to its end on um, and sets up the cliffhanger because. So he wanted to kill. He wanted to kill Gene to get ultimate leverage over Barry, but he's too he's too wishy washy to do it. So instead, he he turns out he whispers into Gene's uh, ear that Barry's the one that kills Janice. Uh, Gene is completely shell shocked. Uh, he gets arrested by the police. The police think that he did it. Um, he gets cleared of the charges at the end. There's also a minor plot about him reconciling with his son. Um, but the the very last scene is Gene kind of getting collected and is like the trauma of seeing Janice's body and being arrested. He now has his recollection of Fuchs whispering in his ear that Barry's the one that killed it or killed Janice. And I wonder, I wonder how they're going to deal with that Mm -hmm. because it seems like Gene knows enough about Barry that this will all snap into place and make sense. But also the fact that Fuchs is kind of the shady character and showed up and is doing like like it. it I, I wonder if Barry's going to be able to spin it that like, well, Fuchs is the actual fugitive. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but I, what I know is going to happen is that I'm not going to know what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I again, just, I, th- that was my big question last year. Yeah. Is like, how do you go forward from here? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the 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 then and and they did they they did in a way that I didn't see coming and. Uh, you know, the, the, this this writing room seems like it rolls with like the Villa Gangs tradition from Breaking Bad of like we want to end each season where our our characters fully painted himself into a corner and there's no way we can see he gets out of it. And then every year we come back to the writers' room and we try to unpaint that corner and get out of it. Um, yeah. And as long as you can keep doing that, it, it's pretty awesome. I got a question for you. Yeah. During in the beginning when uh, the teacher Cusano was grieving mm-hmm. he almost canceled every or he did cancel the show and right. they almost canceled it because he wasn't there yeah uh for this big audience show uh-huh. the performance that they put on nobody seemed to notice that he was just missing he's just plain missing yeah but i thought that's because her agent set that all up she got him the but bigger hall to be there, and... right he's the one that was directing them in their own stories yeah and teaching them but that's the thing is like the that that's the funny beat of that first part of the story is you know the barry gets all of his students whipped up in a frenzy about well you know gene went on the show must go on mm-hmm. and he gets there at their opening night and you think he's going to give a speech about how proud he is of his students and like how like you got but instead he's like look i can't in good conscience let you guys see this i had no oversight of this production uh and kicks them all out won't return the money he's a big asshole so i i, I kind of feel like they set that up as a subversion because now gene he's not just wrapped up in grief he's practically catatonic he can't stop and do anything so the other the other thing like you know we kind of talked around it the reason that sally was so outraged about barry getting this part is because um so there's the in between in Sally's arc of telling her personal truth, she she wants to tell the story of how it actually went. And Barry taps into his darkness and plays this raging inferno of an abusive uh, husband slash, uh, or boyfriend. Um, and she plays the victim to a T. And uh, it, there's a talent scout there and is blown away. And it leads to good things for Sally's career, but also leads to uh, a part of, of like a, in a kind of like American Pie style gross out comedy. And um, 
there's a lot of kind of funny stuff about Gene helping him break down this really shitty role. Like, how would you like how would you prepare an actor for like a role like Stifler from American Pie? Mm-hmm. And they're breaking and and it's very funny about him shitting in this guy's pie and what's this? What's the core emotion here? Vengeance and. Um, but the but but you when you hear Barry practicing his line, it's like uh, what was what was the line? Hey, Ike, you shitbird, you want a little pie? And you just see Bill Hader snap back in a Saturday Night Live mode, like yes. he's in dress rehearsal for. And it was such a fucking hilarious scene, and it really seemed to cap. That's that seems like that's a quote of the season. Uh, and they can still do that. Like, Barry, in the midst of all this pathos and killing and violence, still is really, really, really funny. The little, you know, as I was, you know, as I was laughing out loud at this little ninja monkey girl and also afraid for her life, I'm still laughing out loud. Like, up and, you know, some of this shit is just so funny. Like, uh, NoHo Hank's uh, confession of what a terrible boss he is and how utterly incompetent he is because he thinks he's about to die screaming with his men. Uh, all the while behind him his men are efficiently they're all now mini berries and they're efficiently freeing themselves and and, and just like Barry left him behind <laughs> yeah and liquidating these guys like there's this there's this really moments of just just comedy that fucking works on this show mm-hmm. um i yeah i i can't wait to see what they do with with season three uh and season two is uh is just man um like this in atlanta yes. uh are just so next level and capable of anything uh it's 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 a great it's a great time to be a comedy fan right now right they heard bald move complaining about how you guys can't cover comedies and they're like okay well we'll make it easy for you <laughs> i don't know that i could do an hour of a podcast for on each half on hour atlanta? no on I atlanta did. maybe atlanta yeah. maybe but like barry but but yeah it's still tricky to cover comedies but mm-hmm. there's enough depth to this that i think uh you know, once or twice a season coverage on this and stuff like Rick and Morty and BoJack, and I would love to figure out how to do more of that because the comedies we're getting nowadays are just so good. Even the shit that's like kind of procedural, like Always Sunny, is mm-hmm. fucking next level. That like finale last year was just amazing. So yeah, I'm loving all of these these like mix up of genres. Yeah, uh, it makes it super complicated for like award season, but that's yeah. fine. I don't care about that. Yeah. But you know, it's just it's it's great to see what people are really coming up with when pushed to it. Uh, now the comedy category is going to be going to be tough on the Baldies this year. Yeah, I need a I need a good uh, rom horror a horror a horror romance a horror romance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What would that instead even of look? a rom com? It's a rom horror. Rom horror. A horror. Horror. Whatever. Uh, I don't know. L- uh, that would be it. Follows. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what else we want to talk about as far as Barry? Uh, that's all I got. Okay. That will wrap up our podcast. If you would like to send us feedback, uh, you know, we're doing a little mini mailbag on Chernobyl. Uh, but if you'd like to send some feedback into this, we periodically read it on our other shows too. It's TV at baldmove.com. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week uh, again with looks at Deadwood, the movie and whatever else comes out. Cause it's a fresh crop of awesome every week. It seems like, mm-hmm. uh, Stay subscribed to get the latest. Uh, we will see you. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Cecily. Have a great weekend.